0: hey everybody welcome back to the pixelist podcast the podcast about all the nerdy things we enjoy i'm will oh yeah that's
1: blake sorry right i'm Did sorry it? man i'm just already interrupting your intro <laughs> no I'm i like, like it yeah i'm like excited like it. and it's like bro i'm d-. you're like i'm doing my line man <laughs> no no you, you're the hype man i love it my bad, my bad. <laughs> today we're here sorry, to talk about were.
0: critical role no that's it we're done we're done yeah. no, i appreciate hey. the energy man
1: yeah well i was thinking about i was like you know sometimes we like start this episode these podcasts and i'm like yeah cool but i was like no i'm really i'm on like a D kick right now so i was like woo yeah um but then i realized like i i haven't worked out the timing part of it yet because <laughs> you're like i'm will and <laughs> like oh okay we gotta Don't we'll find it the flow yeah one year later
0: <laughs> how are Maybe. you doing my friend i'm good man i'm uh it it is thursday so you know as we as you know, but I'm sure everybody that's listening to this knows, everyone's a Critical World fan. Thursday is one of my favorite days of the week. So uh, I'm doing good. I've got my coffee. I'm sitting down to talk to my good buddy about something I love. I mean, I can't complain right now.
1: Brother, about, and it's you, it's man? bright and early, you know? We got the coffee. Dude, It's are you rocking a sweatshirt? Yeah, bro. It's fall, it's, man. It's sweatshirt season, yeah. you know? It's like nice and cozy, you know? So... Anyway, I took my kid to daycare. We walked outside like both in T-shirts and it was like frigid. And I was like, and I had this thought of like, I'm supposed to like give her a jacket, right? And I was like, do you want a jacket? And she's like, no. And I was like, okay. But then I thought, but am I supposed to like, am I supposed to be like, no, you need to wear a jacket. I don't know, man. I'm still figuring this stuff out. But I wish I had a sweatshirt. That's my, that was the point that I was getting at. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's, it's sweatshirt weather. Fall's my favorite season. So like, I'm um, Really? Yeah.
1: What, what about you? uh i wasn't saying it judgmentally i just, <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, don't, I, just... I don't hear that <laughs> i don't hear that a lot okay. um you know i'm also allergic to hay you know and so um what if i just left it at that <laughs> 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 you know there's like hay mazes and hay rides and which yeah. i don't think i don't think anything that's fun about a hay maze by the way i mean you know yeah. maybe if you're like a little not, kid yeah that's probably my issue as is I'm 34 years old trying to go through a hay maze. <laughs> that I'm I can just see over it. To. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I have an issue with fall. It, it is a kind of a nice time because the weather changes from summer and it kind of, for me, it kind of brings like this energy of like new things happening. That's really fun. But um, I think for me, my favorite season would be springtime. Rain. because okay. it's like the first warm that first warm sunny day after it's been mm. like cold for forever yeah. and you're like dude i'm going to go outside you know
0: yeah I so will say, sorry go ahead no i was just going to say kind of the exact same thing but the opposite for me you know fall's coming off a of summer and it's like that first chilly day after yeah. all the hot days <laughs>
1: that's why well, i like you got your sweatshirt ready so i think i think my issue is i don't have a nice catalog of sweatshirts oh bro and so like it's like I don't even if i don't even have that as an option it's like i can't i can't embrace the new season yeah <laughs> I, all of a sudden as i was talking i had this thought of like people listening and being like what are we doing <laughs> Like what I, was, is this? <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing like what is this what is <laughs> yeah. this
0: podcast about again is yeah. this about right. fashion right.
1: no this is so this is the if you're the first time listener this is the pixelist podcast my, my buddy will and i we love some nerd stuff and um which by the way if you love nerd stuff too i would say don't be embarrassed by it i was at a wedding the other weekend and this is like our quasi talk show it's because we have our coffee and it's early morning yeah. and every everyone knows like that's like talk show time you know exactly. but so i'll just say this one thing and then we can get to what we're actually here for but i was at a wedding this last weekend and i was we were like seated at a table at the reception with some other couple never met them before and i'm uh, making small talk and the guy's like he's like yeah you know i like a bunch of nerd stuff which I naturally get really excited about. I'm like, ooh, I wonder what fellow nerd stuff you enjoy. Yeah, and so I was like, hey, so what do you? What kind of nerd stuff? And he like would not tell me. What? Like that's what was weird about is he's the one who mentioned like, yeah, I like a bunch of nerd stuff. And I was like, like what? Like what do you? What do you like? And he was like, ah, just you know, just random stuff. And I was like, yeah, I mean, like I love like D and I mean, is there you know? And he was like, okay, cool. And then I was kind of like, bro, how are you judging me when you're the one who just said nerd stuff? Anyway, point being, point that I'm getting at, if you like nerd stuff, don't be embarrassed by it. And if you need some friends to talk nerd stuff, you've come to the right place because this is the the, the place that we like to talk about that nerd stuff, especially Dungeons & Dragons. And uh, what a great segue, if I say so myself, to (laughs) today's episode.
0: Yeah, we're talking a little Critical Role Campaign 3 today, and this episode in particular was really fun, especially especially for me. Not not that it couldn't have been fun for you, I'm not trying to gatekeep,
1: but you but, know. as I, but, I, but I did think that though. I like the episode, and we'll get into this after the recap, but I thought to myself, I bet Will is like goozing hard. And I, <laughs> I, I even wondered if there were like, because there were like some names, like the captain of the guard, who I was like... I don't know who that is, but I thought, I wonder if that's like someone from like campaign one or something or, yep. so I'm, I'm sure you're going to educate me and get me on the loop, but I'm, I'm sure for you, it was definitely a nostalgia bomb. That was pretty fun.
0: It was. And, um, I guess, you know, before we get too lost in the actual discussion, getting ahead of ourselves, um, Before we jump into that, we will jump into the recap, and if you're new to us here, we like to recap every episode of Critical Role before we dive into uh, our proper discussion of it, and we cut that out of this podcast and host it separately on YouTube for anyone that likes to get caught up each week before the episode, or maybe if you've fallen behind and want a quick way to catch up, you can check these out. Um, So if you find yourself on just that recap video right now, uh, and you're interested in listening to our full podcast discussing the episode, that'll be linked in the description below, so come check us out. But um, yeah. Without further ado, let's jump into it. This is uh, Critical Role campaign three, episode thirty six, and I actually have the title in front Ooh, of me: so "A Desperate Call." Oh, we're both Look on top at both of it of today. Us. We had it ready this time. <laughs> I think it's because we have coffee and, bro, we're you know, yeah, we're firing off on all cylinders for sure. Um, but yeah, do you want to take yeah, us off will- on this one?
1: I'll take the first step and like the disclaimer, like whenever we're doing the recap, you know, there's always, it's like four hours of, of content. So we're always kind of like picking like, how do we make the recap as like important as possible without getting lost in the details? So disclaimer, there may be details I don't mention only because I did not know it was a key like <laughs> breadcrumb from campaign one. So if you're like, um, actually you didn't mention this one part. I'll be like, I had no idea because, and I'll probably know, cover
0: that in the discussion. So yeah, there you go. Thanks. Check so, that out.
1: Anyway, um, so the episode opens up from where this awesome cliffhanger that we ended on, which is them stepping through this portal into what appeared to be Whitestone. And it is, in fact, Whitestone. They step out. It's this beautiful, sprawling city. Uh, It seems to actually be growing and expanding. There's absolutely these um, implications of it being like this very healthy time for the city. And the um, party is, is a bit in awe almost of like, wow, this is really cool. Uh, As the portal's opening, they're actually stepping out. They don't realize it, but, um, you know, pulling my Legends of Vox Machina knowledge, they're (laughs) stepping out right in front of the roots of the massive gargantuan sun tree. And Chetney even asks Keyleth, like, hey, is it cool if I take some of this wood, you know, from the Sun Tree? And she's like, "Uh, maybe you should hold off on that for now, because um, it's kind of a big deal. Um, but so yeah, the party's like, okay, this is where we are. This sounds really cool. And Keyleth's like, all right, let's, we're going to head to um, basically Castle Whitestone, and I have a friend who's going to be able to help you out. They're heading that way. There's some really cool details of um Keeleth as she walks. Uh the way Matt describes it is like the f- the literal footsteps behind her is growing grass and like life is sprouting out from her, yeah. her path. Uh which what a freaking D moment for one of your characters, I guess. Um and, and really as they're, they're making their way, um, they're also kind of exchanging small details on like, has anyone ever been here? Have, you know, is this people's first time? Um, or i surprisingly enough, uh, it is his first time to Whitestone. Uh, I think Chetney says he was here a long time ago, like years ago, which I thought was an interesting detail. Um, Ashton mentions he's never left uh, Marquette before, uh, and there's also even a bit of a time zone change. That you know, Matt kind of jokingly is like, "Okay, yeah, right. Like the time zones are different here. It's a bit. A bit I can't remember if it was earlier or later in the day than, than what they I expected. I think it was early, like early morning. Yes, right. So, um, one of the things though that as that comes up as they're talking and walking is. Keyleth turns to Orem and is kind of like, "Hey, um, I, I'm down to help you, but you remember last time we did this? The last time we tried to save Will, your husband, and Derek, um, your 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 father, so to speak. Remember what happened?" And he's like, "Yes, I remember, but I, I this was so abrupt. It was in the moment. I wonder if maybe the the toxins aren't in play with our friend." So they actually lay her down. Um, Keyleth looks her over. It's really tense moment. I mean, the party is just like crushed with Laudna being gone. And Keyleth looks her over, and fortunately says the toxins aren't here. Um, so that's that's one good thing. Uh, and they also say uh, Keyleth also, also mentions like, "Hey, we do have a few options here." Just want to make sure you guys have 25,000 gold uh, in case we need it. And they're like, we're, we're very close. We almost have it. Um, as they make their way to the castle, um, she brings them in, introduces them to Lord Darolo Percival. I'm not going to say his full name because <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do it right. Uh, and he actually identifies himself as, um, oh man, let me find it uh the do you have it on your on hand for you are you talking about his title yeah his title
0: um it's like the
1: the the architect of enlightened progress of the chamber of white stone uh which i thought was just interesting cool deal that he didn't identify himself as the king of white stone um and before Keela sort of hands them off she says like hey i have some other business to take care of they're like hey by the way we just want to make sure you know all the things that are happening so they talk about the nightmare king arahan thule um like all the basically the things that are like so um important for sort of the, the sake of exandria and keyleth is uh, there's something going on there she she is obviously overwhelmed with the number of things the apogee solstice she mentions some archmages she's trying to keep in check she actually interestingly enough mentions she's they're um doing things to hold off efforts of the betrayer gods which could be just like a consistently always happening thing or like something intentional and even a ceremony in Vasselheim that she's thinking about but she's like okay that's just another thing like we got it um and shetty actually says like hey you got this <laughs> which is kind of a cool, encouraging moment. It's like when an eight-year-old, tell, you're an adult, and they're like, you got it, and you're like, thanks. <laughs> but anyway, hands them off. Um, Percy introduces himself, um, welcomes them into uh, the inner chamber of Castle Whitestone. He actually points out his daughter, Gwendolyn, uh, the deep, red-skinned uh, daughter who's hiding behind a door, peeking through to see who the guests are. Who comes out in this cute blue sundress and um, just a very cute kid and starts to read a book in a corner? Uh, later, two arguing teenagers come in, presumably um, other other ones of their kids. I'm assuming. Yeah, I believe so. Um, followed by Vexalia, who identifies herself as I think Lady of the Grey Hunt. Yeah, um, Grandmistress of the Grey Hunt. Thank you. That's much cooler than Lady of <laughs> <laughs> the Grey Hunt. So the Grand Mistress of the Grey Hunt, and uh, it's kind of like, oh, hello everyone, and you know they all kind of have like these pleasantries, and then Vexalia um, is like, hey, I need to go get ready for the day she leaves because it's early morning. Well, um, Percy calls for Pike, says that she, if they can't find her, she's probably at the bakery. And they begin to talk about what's happening here. Um, they basically say, "Like, hey, we, we'd love our friend to get revived." And Percy's like, "Like, surely you understand? Like, I we can't revive everyone." And that's when they're like, "No, this isn't just anyone." Uh, and the party is absolutely kind of pleading with them because, again, this is Ladna, right. and they explain that she is the look-alike for Vexalia from the Sun Tree. And um, they mentioned Delilah Briarwood, which seems to trigger something within Percy. Um, getting to the point, Pike eventually shows up um, in this you know boisterous, jovial way. Uh, it's kind of like, "Hey guys, what's going on?" And um, Percy's like, "Hey, this person needs some help." Now there is this moment where um, uh, FCG is like, "Yeah, well, you know, because Delilah, you know, has kind of cursed her." And I even felt like there was like kind of a look from the party of like, dude, like don't mention the yeah. fact that Delilah is around. Um, Pike looks Ladna over, and Percy informs her like she's she's you know it's almost like as he's about to say from the sun tree, we realize Vixalia is actually looking from above, um, like from like a balcony or from the top of the stairs, and um, she's like, oh, and she realizes sort of the the. Um, similar appearances um, and she's like yeah we have to help them we have to we did this we have to help Ladna so they start the ceremony um, she starts the resurrection spell and something is keeping her she's realizing that there's actually two souls that are entwined within this body and she says one's Ladna and then she looks at Percy and says and the other one is Delilah Briarwood and then we go to break Ooh so you take it from there my friend
0: yeah so um we pick up on that cliffhanger with everyone absorbing you know what pike just said uh that ladna and delilah's souls are bound together and percy is immediately like no like sets his foot down (laughs) saying the issue is now settled she is to remain gone and basically bells hells just start arguing with him um, and they're just trying to come up with any possible solution that maybe, you know, would satisfy him while also bringing Laudna back. Um, <clears throat> Pike, meanwhile, is she's like, yeah, I just if I were to complete this ritual, I don't know whose soul would be the one to come back. Um, but Pike says, but hey, let me go do some research. I feel like I've maybe remember some of these rites, uh from my, uh, you know, my religious books from the Everlight that I could look into. And maybe there's a solution. And Percy says, "You report to me if you find anything, but do nothing without my approval." Um, so the group, uh, Pike and Vex as well, with the rest of Bell's Hells, decide to go back towards Pike's house, uh, so she can look at her research books. And Percy, you know, steps away, um, but not before Ashton chases after Percy to <laughs> confront him. I
1: love this. Moment. Yeah, this was, was great. So, good. Uh,
0: <laughs> so Ashton basically says, you know, we're not satisfied how that went back there and basically kind of, you know, gives him a piece of his mind. Yeah. And Percy's like, you're young, like you'll learn to live with unsatisfactory things. And Ashton's like, oh, trust me, I've, you know, lived with a lot. And they kind of go back and forth. And, um, ultimately Percy, I think kind of empathize, empathizes with Ashton a bit and tells him, you know, refocus this anger and use it to build, to create, to protect, um, like this can serve you. Uh, but he, again, lets him know that like, I will not allow my children to grow up in a world with Delilah Briarwood. If she were to come back, then I will end her and you for like, <laughs> if that's what it takes to protect my city. Um, <clears throat> So Ashton then leaves and as he's making his way back to the group, he does take a quick little detour uh where he finds this little group of bears kind of tucked away behind a staircase and he notices that there's one like very ancient bear um and then I think a couple of smaller ones that are surrounding it. Uh he takes a step closer and the the smaller ones kind of like defensively, you know, protect the ancient one and take this defensive stance around it. Um, you know, Ashton's trying to not be threatening and he basically just is kind of talking to them and says that, you know, Percy's an asshole basically, and that they should drop a deuce somewhere in the castle in his honor. Um, he then turns around, catches back up with Pike and the crew. Um, everyone makes their way to her house then, and she tells them to get comfortable while she's going to go upstairs and basically do some research. Um, he eventually comes down a little while later and declares that she did find a ritual that she can do that will send the spirits of Bell's Hells to this place, uh, this place wherever Delilah is keeping Laudna's soul. And she explains that when you are resurrecting someone, you are are retrieving their soul and placing it back in the body. And normally the soul is dwelling within one of these afterlife planes, and which one kind of depends on a person's beliefs and you know several other factors. But where Laudna's soul is is not that. It's not normal. It's some other place, some old separate plane that Delilah is apparently keeping her in. So this spell can send Bell's hells there, with their mission being that they need to separate Delilah and Laudna so that then Pike can perform and complete this ritual. Uh, she does let them know that since they're basically being astrally projected, if they die over there, they don't die in real life. They will just return to the waking conscious world. However, there is like a spirit tether that will be connecting their astral projections to the real world. And if that is severed, they do die in real life. Um, So she's basically just kind of like explaining the ground rules of how this is going to work. The group's like, okay. And they're readying for this journey. Um, amidst which vex does present aurum with a sword I, I think it's a magical plus one sword in in effect uh to help um fcg is like oh if you're sending people's souls to the spirit realm i guess i can't go because i don't have a soul and you know this whole argument comes up again and pike's like well i can just test if you guys want like i have a ritual where we can see once and for all if you have a soul and they're like yeah okay so pike does it casts the spell and fcg sees pike in like this ethereal like energetic form with these wings and like blazing eyes and then fcg looks down at himself and kind of sees a similar like energy not his normal you know robot body he's seeing his soul in effect his spirit yeah. um and she's like you already have eyes on you as well and she points to fcg's chest and there is the the token of the change bringer um, right so they're like, yeah, you have a soul, and FCG is kind of like coming to grips with this, and is like, I, you know, I must find a purpose now. I must, you know, protect you guys. And they're like, well, what's different? You know, that's just what you've been doing. And he's like, no, now it matters. And they're like, no, it's always mattered. Mm. Um, so it's a nice yeah. little moment. Um, yeah. Then they fully prepare the ritual, but they do need a bunch of material components, about almost seven thousand gold worth. Uh, but Vex is like. I got it. You know, she comes back, gets those. They set everything up and Pike um, casts the ritual. Um, Right. So everyone's bodies, they're laying down on the ground, but next thing they know they're being astrally projected to this new realm. Uh, It's dark. There's like jagged rocks landscaped. And there's like this fog of war. I think about 60 feet out that Matt describes is like, whenever you take a step, that fog extends a step. So like, it's, There's a constant shroud of war around them, basically, wherever they move. So they begin to explore this plane of existence, and eventually they come up and see this shack in the distance uh, with a light glinting in it. They go to inspect it. I think Chetney kind of goes alone, uh, scout style, and takes a peek in this cabin and sees that uh, there is like this cackling black energy sitting alone on a chair in the cabin. And it doesn't really have a form, but Chetney notices that it is basically in the shape of Ladna as it like shifts and moves. And there is this other energy like inset her chest, and she looks sad, and she seems to be maybe crafting pate de rolo. And there are these whispers that are coming in that are like, "Burn the witch! We found her! Like get her!" And these whispers just keep getting louder and louder. And all of a sudden, the black. Form of Ladna disappears, and suddenly the fireplace that was in this cabin, like it's very large and starts burning the cabin down. At the same moment, these like shadow mists start coming out from, uh, from like the woods around this cabin and attack the rest of the party, and initiative is rolled. Um, for the sake of brevity, uh, we have this combat encounter with these like literal shadows. Um, as Chetney grabs the pate body and the bird skull from the cabin and ducks out of there as it's burning down to, to join everyone else. Um, these shadows can like heal, they can create darkness, they can like become incorporeal and like disappear into the ground and come back up and attack. Uh, it's a very uh, interesting combat, a little tricky, but Bell's Hells eventually do get the job done. Um, there's a pretty cool how you do want to do this moment with Ashton and his like you know weird timey wimey. Gravity strikes, um, so they take care of all of the shadows, no one goes down, um, but in the meantime, this fire from the cabin has kind of gotten crazy and is beginning to burn everything, but uh, Fern casts Tidal Wave, which I believe for the first time, and uh, just extinguishes all the flames at once. So with the combat over, the party go back inside the cabin, uh, now to find it empty, but Orum does find a board in the ground that leads to a tunnel. Uh, and they're like, well, I guess this is what we should check out. And, but, uh, Chetney's like, I'm a little rough though. And so the party decides like, well, can we rest here? I don't know if that's a good idea. They decide against it. Um, FCG drops a mass healing word to bring Chetney up a little bit. Uh, but onward they go. So they trounce down this tunnel. It goes down, 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 deeper, deeper, deeper. Uh, and then it starts to climb back up. Chetney, uh, again, is in the front, um, scouting. And he makes his way to the mouth of the tunnel. And as he's coming out, like it's almost like a Stranger Things upside down kind of transition, is at least how I felt like Matt was describing it.
1: Yeah, that's good. He like
0: comes up and it's like gravity is almost shifting as he like gets this new perspective. And he sees like all these trees and this crumbled wall and this city beyond it, and then a massive, like dead tree beyond that. And there's this like eerily green mist kind of floating through this city. And That's where
1: the session ends. Cool. So yeah, that is episode 36, A Desperate Call. Uh, And if you've checked out this recap, you want to hear our whole episode discussion and dialogue about what we thought about it. In fact, if you want to give some of your thoughts on the episode, you can check the link below to go to the full episode discussion. All right, Will, my friend, what'd you think?
0: We back, baby. We back in Whitestone, man. I uh, I really enjoyed it. You know, I kind of touched on this in our at the beginning of our episode here, but it just was so cool uh, to go home in a way. You know, uh, did did they do it justice? Yeah, for sure. I thought like Matt did such a great job because it's such like a you know this is something they've kind of intentionally avoided seven years into Critical Role being a thing, you know? Uh, Campaign two didn't really touch on campaign one. Few things here and there, but not really. Uh, So that's kind of like the precedent they set. And so now, I mean, this isn't the first time in campaign three that we've kind of touched on other things, but now we're like full-fledged revisiting a major place from campaign one, revisiting half of Vox Machina essentially, um, I think there is like a way that it would feel fan service-y and cameo-y and just like there for the sake of being there. And then there's like it being handled well, which I feel like we got here. Um I you can tell that like Matt, everyone at the table, but Matt especially as the DM, like really cares about doing his world and his friends characters justice and I just felt like I could I could sense that care and how he was playing those characters and uh he was so spot yeah. on with them too. Like not only I mean he's a voice actor, but like hitting their same kind of inflections, but just hitting like their character notes. Uh specifically there was a moment where he like I can't remember exactly. I don't know if it was like okay, okay, okay. But like he said something as Pike and I was like, oh my God, that's like exactly Ashley oh, Johnson. <laughs> um so long-winded response here, but yeah, I I loved it. It felt like it hit just the right walking the line of like how to really handle something like that well without it being, like I said, fan service-y. Um, and it felt natural too. Like it didn't feel like there's a reason we're here. There's a reason we're seeing these characters. And uh, yeah, it was just really cool to see them again.
1: Yeah, no, I felt the same way. It felt, I, I definitely, you know, it didn't feel like, um you know how some companies like blatantly like cash in on nostalgia blizzard uh-uh. um <laughs> <laughs> you know it definitely felt very authentic it felt natural um i don't know if you watched the interview with um matt at the, at the new york comic con where they no, like I haven't him, yet. they basically asked him like hey so like the party's back in Whitestone. like is this is this um or it was like you know delilah Bridewood's a big part is this how you always envisioned it like did you always envision campaign campaign three going back this route and he was like no like i was totally like open to whatever and like my players like they ultimately thought it like you have aurum you have um um ladna who have these really cool connecting points to campaign one characters um so i i think it's cool from a dm perspective that matt didn't like no no we're we're not going back that route Um, but sort of let the players sort of guide that direction and then like you said from what little i've experienced from campaign one and, and legends of vox machina um it did all feel very um carefully handled like you could almost sense matt being extremely cognizant of like how do i represent each character the right way um and you could even see like the joy on his players faces as like you know i think as i think the entry of pike like bounding in like percy and you could see ashton or not ashton uh, ashley like lighting up and um you know and i also even loved the back and forth between percy and ashton um yeah you know it's just it, two hotheads so to speak i mean it just was really cool um so yeah as someone who didn't experience campaign 1 um, I, I mean, it was really a, a cool episode, um, and the back half too, as well. I mean, Matt's always been such a great describer of, um, or just creative, you know, not just descriptive, but just like his imagination and how things get, um, come into play is always so cool. Um, but yeah, really cool episode though, for sure. And I think it's, it's the right amount of nostalgia, you know, like, I think if we leave Whitestone after this, it would be, uh, I don't know if we would, because it seems like keela's pretty heavily involved um, in some of the things that are happening, but um, it, it does feel like it isn't just fan service, which I think you mentioned. And I think that was an apprehension of a lot of people on Reddit was like, oh man, are we really gonna... You know, it kind of felt um, deus, ex, deus ex machina a little bit, um, which I don't. I don't feel that way at all. I feel like it's been handled very, um, very gingerly, I guess. So, yeah, agreed. And uh, one, yeah,
0: another fun thing, which I'm curious if for those of you that are watching this had also watched Campaign One, if if this happened to you as well. But I found myself, uh, like obviously matt was playing all of the npcs but like matt as vex talking to percy i would always look to talison like further response and same thing with like pike and uh vex as well when you know percy or pike was talking but and i kind of felt like maybe uh ashley and talison were like almost tempted to respond at times I, that might just me be you know reading too much into it but i I swear, like I kind of got like a I was like, oh yeah, he's perking up to respond.
1: And I was like, oh wait, no, Matt is doing all of this. Um well even Ashton, you know, Talison deciding to have Ashton follow after Percy, it almost had like this vibe of like, I got this guy's. I know, I know this character, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So um, but yeah, I mean, no, you're right. There was definitely and you know, it's understandable. I mean, this is this is where their journey all started. There has to be just enormous emotion behind those characters, like a certain sweetness to thinking about those characters not just with how it started the critical brand but also naturally with legends of ox machina you know they're they're they've already returned to those characters and so um yeah it's it was all handled very well and um i hope i mean it's the internet so who knows but i hope the majority of people feel similarly that this has all gone a pretty healthy direction
0: yeah i hope so too and speaking to your kind of Deus Ex Machina comments, I, too, feel like it was handled well. Um, obviously, we have the the connections to these characters that have made this moment even possible. But, you know, we still had Percy be like, you know, we're not going to resurrect your friend. Like, do you know how many people come to me every day? And But, you know, it was the personal connection to Vex that kind of really made this happen through. But... Aside from that, like specific moment, I know some people are like, "Well, now that they have like a direct line to Keyleth, what's?" They'll just call her anytime there's something going on, you know. Like, why don't you just always ring that bell? But I love that we kind of got, and this is so true to Keyleth's character too. Uh, in the glimpses we got of her being so like kind of frazzled, and uh, I don't know if overwhelms the right word, but has so much on her plate with, uh, you know, all these things that she has to that she just gave us a quick rundown of and i'm sure there's much more um but it's like you know bells hells have what they you know think to be a a a world level threat in what's going on with and stuff yeah and i mean it is but also there's 50 other things that are probably just as like world level threats
1: that she's already dealing with so i i like uh, yeah to me i like it, it it's good writing in the sense of like I like how sometimes like the simplest explanations make the most sense, I guess, you know, it's like, cause it's like, yeah, why wouldn't they just call on Vox Machina to like pop in and help and take care of Audahan? Well, if, you know, if we think about this for a second, if the Apogee Solstice is so rare and yet so powerful that it makes sense that there's all these other factions in addition to the Paragon's call who are also trying to, um, you know take advantage yeah so it's it's our main plot but it's not necessarily the main plot um which you know i think it'd be even cool for there to be like a return of vox machina one shot of like you know while the events of campaign 3 were happening there was this huge world ending threat that they were all you know had to deal with that'd be cool um but yeah, I mean they're they're obviously handling a lot. And um I, I just like how, how simply that was handled rather than like, oh, we're gonna be out of town this next month and yeah, so we can't be around. But
0: yeah, and it got me wondering, like, which that obviously makes sense. Like you just mentioned this apogee solstice, as we know from EXU Calamity, like even back then there were all these machinations to utilize it. Like of course that's gonna be the case again. So i wonder what other factions what other plans there are out there you know she name dropped the betrayer gods as well in that speech so like for those of you that watched exu calamity you know solstice had a big part to play with them like i wonder if there's another similar plot going on now um with the divine gate or something uh yeah i just i really loved that explanation um or not explanation. I don't That feels like that's not even the right word. It just made it feel like a living, breathing world. And so right. of course, one of the most powerful people in the world has all these things on her plate to be dealing with. So I just liked that world building for lack of a better way to describe
1: it, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I even have some questions for you of like, I just being out of context or camping one, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if it's in the conversation for she's talking about the change bringer to FCG and, i don't remember if like the question back was like you know do you have a god or you talk to the gods have you met a god and she like kind of casually is like yeah a few of them but then she says <laughs> um i have a tangled relationship with the gods what is she referring to um, or, or is it safer just to be like hey watch season two or three of <laughs> legends of ox machina i mean
0: uh it, season two probably won't cover it i don't We'll see. Season three was greenlit, by the way, so we're at least getting yeah. three seasons. I don't know. I don't know how many seasons they are like plotting out to tell the story. Like maybe they don't maybe they're happy with three and they're going to try to truncate seasons it. Seasons in a movie to fit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I I don't know if we'll be we'd be getting those answers in Legends of Arkham anytime soon. Like that might be yeah, okay. like a season four or five type of answer.
1: Because there were um, a couple of comments like that. There was that comment, and then there was Pike when they're talking about Delilah or pikes like yeah cuz they're like how did you defeat her and they're like well we shot her a bunch then we dropped her an acid and then she came back we fought her again and that that detail was i was like oh did you okay that's interesting um, <laughs> which i'm sure is another key point hello <laughs> um
0: so yeah i mean spoilers campaign 1 i'm not going to like explicitly tell you but I'll like answer your question at the same time yeah. but spoilers campaign 1 um at certain things were happening in campaign one and vox machina had to turn to the gods um as part of this so yeah keyleth has literally dealt with a few of the gods before um as has pike which is why you know she was kind of making similar comments um i don't want to go into too much more because if somebody like okay i, I don't want to get more spoilery than that for because sure. you know and maybe people don't care, but in case anyone does just cause it's cool stuff. Um, right. but yeah. And, uh, yeah. So those are just, those are just little campaign one nods, I guess. Uh, and I'm sorry if that, that probably wasn't a satisfying answer to your question,
1: but no. Yeah. I mean, it, I at least got to express that I was thinking about it, I guess.
0: <laughs> and I mean, after the pod, I can answer if you'd, if you'd like me to. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, but yes, also before we get too far away from this, one of the things that Keyleth mentioned in her you know, list of things was like the rogue Ashari faction or, or something to that effect, yeah. um, which I found very interesting, um, especially because of what we know of Ashton's backstory. Not that
1: oh. that was the
0: Hishari cult or whatever, but they seem to be related as we know because we talked about the elemental connections between both of them. Okay. That's an interesting detail. Yeah. So not that whatever she's doing is Ashton's clan. I'm not saying that, but I'm just, I'm wondering if, you know, maybe whatever they were doing was considered rogue with whatever ritual they were trying to perform. So I wonder if there's maybe like something similar happening with this rogue. Okay. Yeah. Ashari cult that she just offhandedly mentioned.
1: I like that. I didn't put that detail together, um, but that's a really nice detail. So, you know, and hishari kind of sounds like Ashari, so you yeah. can see the connection.
0: And we had the uh the Gaudrashari, which from right. BXU, which we know to be like the proto Ashari, like those druids kind of what led to the Ashari. I'm assuming maybe they're two branches of the same tree, but that's that might be a reach. Um But yeah, wanted to wanted to throw that in there real quick before we moved away completely from the
1: I liked, and another quick detail that I really liked, I liked um, Chetney offering to like craft some things and then making like the little wolf talisman for Gwendolyn and then Percy being like, pretty good. Can you do anything with like, um, like metal (laughs) or I can remember whatever he said and Chetney was like, yeah, (laughs) it's like, ah, I'll think about it.
0: Yeah, that was great because, uh, for those of you that didn't watch campaign one, Percy was a tinkerer, um, as they talked about this within the episode, but he's the one that designed the massive clock tower that's in Whitestone. So I was, I was actually hoping for an interaction between those two. So I was really happy to have that moment. Um, and then, uh, two things. Um, one, you mentioned it earlier, but the guard Kynan is from campaign one, um, so that was a really cool little callback and uh you know quickly slight spoilers um but kynan was a character from campaign 1 that was like a kid when he was first introduced and he like looked up to vox I was like i want to be a hero and vax was basically like no like don't you can't do that like don't do that and there you know it's 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 <laughs> more you know complex than that but like, essentially he was like you know you're a little kids. kid yeah like exactly <laughs> So, you know, he kind of gets pissed at Vox Machina because of that. Some stuff happens, but ultimately then Vax... becomes a bad guy like the
1: Incredibles. big big Yeah, big bad evil.
0: (laughs) But ultimately, Vax kind of takes him under his wing um, and, like, gives him his first set of daggers type of thing. And so Kanan's always wanted to be, like, a hero. So it's really cool that now, you know, 30 years later or whatever, he's, like, the captain of the Whitestone Guard. So that was just kind of a cool, like character to come back again yeah and then uh gwendolyn uh their their daughter um you know percy's a human vex is a half elf some of you might be wondering how do they have a tiefling daughter
1: i was wondering that actually which i assumed it was a tiefling but i it wasn't explicitly said and so i wasn't sure if that was the case
0: yeah so that is because in campaign one uh percy made a pact with a fiend uh in the nine hells and uh, not to get into too many spoilers but um that was necessary for what they were trying to accomplish at the time and because of that that's just like a thing in like D lore that humans that have made pacts with like fiends and devils can have tiefling children so i thought that was just a really cool little it was cool to see her um and it's yeah. cool that she's like so sweet you know um I was wondering when uh when it was first mentioned that like Orm, you saw somebody like in the shadows. I was like, I wonder if that's a Dorolo kid that's that's taken after their uncle's uh footsteps because Vax was a rogue. Uh so I don't know if Gwendolyn is a rogue necessarily, but the fact that she was, you know, being pretty stealthy, mm-hmm. um, I just thought that was cool. Uh, yeah. But yeah,
1: I wanted to wanted to shout out the tiefling thing for
0: anyone that was confused by that.
1: Yeah. Um and so we didn't see Scanlan, Grog, or Vax. I think that's the only three we didn't see. So I'm curious if we'll get some kind of reference or mention of them. I mean, they wouldn't know to ask, hey, like, where's Grog? You know, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just curious if we'll get any of their fan service. But
0: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I would guess probably not in, in this current, moment you know i think that would kind of be beyond the scope of like oh guess what guess who just came by <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. um, but maybe we might see them later or something you know depending yeah. on how these things play out yeah, we did get but- to see trinket though uh right, that was true. the ancient bear yeah at least presumably right. yeah
1: <laughs> okay cool well let's let's I mean, we already talked about the episode um is there any any meaningfulness behind their titles? Which I think it's really, I think it's a cool detail that they didn't take King and Queen, um, but we have Vexalia, um, Grand Mistress of the Grey Hunt. Um, we have Percy, Architect of Enlightened Progress of the Chamber of Whitestone. Uh, very Percy esque to have such a long <laughs> title. <laughs> uh, any insights there, or just kind of like a nice little cool detail? Yeah, so
0: after they took care of the Briarwoods, you know, the Briarwoods basically were ruling as king and queen, essentially. So after they retook the city, Percy kind of reestablished how things were going to work. And the Council of Whitestone, kind of like the Taldori Council, um, but the Council of Whitestone is basically the ruling body. And uh, there's like five or six different positions, I think. So there is no like king and queen. Uh, there is the enlightened architect of progress and the grand mistress of the gray hunt. So they're not like, I don't think it's like a, a monarchy kind of thing, even though I think, uh, his sister Cassandra, who is from legend of Vox Machina, I don't remember her title, but she's also part of it. Uh, and part, whatever she is, I think Percy said like that role should always be a Durolo. So that's kind of like maybe the, the monarchy flair to it. Um, but the rest are just, you know, these cool titles of the members of this. So,
1: kind of so like the cool Taldori you, Council. Yeah, yeah
0: kind of like... Okay, uh I didn't
1: know that. So, they aren't, they aren't even, like, explicitly the king and queen. They're just part of this, part of the council.
0: Right. But, I mean, at the same time,
1: you know. But they're not granted the rank. He basically is. King and queen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Essentially. And yeah. Uh, for those of you that uh, watch Campaign 1, uh, the moment Vex got her title... Which uh, was bef- like not she didn't get it because they got married. Um, it was one of my favorite moments in Campaign One. Was really cool, uh, really cool <laughs> moment.
1: <laughs> I can't really like explain I feel it like fully. All you said about it, <laughs> that Chris Farley skit. Remember, remember when that yeah. happened? That was that was really cool, man.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I wouldn't do it justice, but it was just really kind of a cool moment where Percy like basically tells somebody off, like be like, you know, who you're speaking to, right. And like reveals this title for Vex and like, she's finding out in that same moment. It was just, it was a
1: really cool moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Okay. Cool. Uh, Maybe we'll see it in legend of Vox Machina. Maybe it'll pop up again. You know, I hope knows? so. All right. So we have all this really cool fan service. Um, where, where do you want to go from here and talking about the episode? Um, let's see let me, let me i'm not sure how much is left to cover from the first half yeah in the sense of there's not a lot i think i think the characters are really true to maybe what we expected i think it probably would have been a cop out for Percy to be like delilah briarwood oh man well don't worry i'll still resurrect your friend <laughs> you know like i i think it is interesting i, I think i kind of it what i my head canon was that i maybe would have sensed a little bit more um someone who's kind of like let go of that trauma and and been at peace of it but then again like entire family being like butchered and like all of this horrible things happening i guess you don't really fully let that go (laughs) so i i kind of liked how the the trauma was still there um and even his line of like my kids won't grow up in a world with the lila briarwood yeah and there's
0: even more trauma besides just what you've seen in the legend of ox machina like as you saw pike mentioned how they've like fought her numerous times like Delilah does other sh- shit too. So, oh, okay. you know, it's, I definitely, okay. you know, he's not letting that one go. Um, but I did also think it was cool how, you know, having seen Legend of Vox Machina, Matt mentioned in his office the fr- the plague doctor mask was still just like hung up above everything. So I kind of liked it, that. I don't know, you know, I don't want to speak for C- Percy's character, but almost serving as like a reminder of not to forget, like,
1: yeah you know kind of what wor- yeah, led you, to this yeah you don't ever really fully let go you know so yeah no that's that's cool that's right well maybe moving after the break then um i thought it was great um i mean I there was definitely this palpable like grief in the episode of like are they about to have to say goodbye um and even in the previous episode, like f c g even said, like, "Hey, maybe it would be good for all of us just to go ahead and like say our goodbyes, yeah, and they were like, "What like no, we're not <laughs> doing that, but like there's there's been this back and forth tension um of are we are we in denial or or do we just need to let go right and even in the conversation with Percy and like is there an option here i I sensed that, um." you know and it's definitely been like this for me of like glimmer of hope and accept reality like Percy's saying like it's settled it's done she's not coming back and then ashton's like i got this guys and you're like glimmer of hope (laughs) Percy's like you know don't let the door hit you on the way out um you know and then back to despair and then you know pike and vex being like no we're gonna help you out and it's a glimmer of hope and then they're in a really messed up world, um, which like the mechanics of this are so interesting. Like I'm trying to like fit this plane cleanly in like the universe of EXU. And I understand that it really doesn't fit cleanly. Um, but I, I think that tension has been really, um, easy to sense. And I think the party's even eager to, um, not get it done. That's not the right way just to put it, but like, I think they're, they're eager to like let's work toward like we can do this. Like we like, can get yeah. to, you know, have some sort of closure. Right, right. And I hope that's with Laudna getting brought back. Um, because it almost seems like glimmer of hope. We're heading to we're gonna fight Delilah Briarwood and get Laudna back. But then there's this other part of me that's like, or are we going to fight Delilah Briarwood and have to say goodbye for good to Laudna? I don't know. Um I don't know, man. I
0: Oh, I, like maybe Laudna makes like the final self sacrifice to like I don't know. Yeah, if they're intertwined. I mean yeah.
1: and it it'd be a really nice um introduction or not introduction, um transition into Marisha's new character, I think. Uh you just play Keyless, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna join you guys. <laughs> Level twenty plus plus.
0: <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it definitely, they really have teetered on this uh, of not knowing, you know, like, can I start grieving or can, can we still fix this? I feel like that's been a really interesting kind of like emotional dynamic they've flirted with for the past few episodes. And yeah, it at least does seem like we have a way now. Now, can we accomplish this or not is another question, but at least they do have a path that, they can take and they are taking um and i just thought that you know credit to matt again how cool this whole idea was of like yeah all right you know my players have these powerful connections they want to resurrect you know uh Mauritius character um i don't think it's just do sex machina here's the paths to where this could happen and instead of just being like oh yeah they found pike pike can reser no it's which this obviously makes perfect sense with lot in his backstory but no her soul is intertwined with delilah so here's this awesome one-shot adventure for lack of a better word here where you're gonna dive into the astral plane and try to separate her soul from this evil right which basically uh i just thought that was such a cool idea um you know
1: for all well, I, I know there's go ahead go ahead no you're sorry
0: oh i was just gonna say i just for all i know maybe there's a precedent for this type of like encounter um but i just thought that was such a cool like creative way to to come up with like this challenge for your
1: players to you know accomplish this thing that they want to accomplish so badly yeah i mean i think i think for me what i think about sometimes is like the critical Role brand like they're they're telling a compelling story matt's obviously cognizant i mean they all are they're cognizant of the brand of critical role but i think what i like about this whole arc is it just reminds me of the roots of people who love D who are playing D, meaning the way i kind of see this playing through i i don't and it, it actually like in uh, an odd way kind of ties over to like is it all scripted that whole like conversation or conspiracy yeah um but you know a great dm which we know matt is so it's kind of redundant to even say it but you know, letting your players lead, like what's important to them. And then you take that and, like, it's like a sprawling canvas that, like, okay, what if this led to this? And what if this happened? Like, I just kind of like, I just sense that giddiness and excitement from the group as they've made it very clear, like, we want to revive Ladna, like, not like in a strong arm way, but like, this is, I mean, every time there's like even a sniff of saying goodbye, Imogen is like, no like no like this is so important and i love that matt has um allowed that i guess allowed that direction and then from that has then like i i i don't envision that matt had like a bottled shadow realm that was like now's the time to bring it out now i will say every great dm like i know for my campaign i have like you know little data points of like, this might be like a cool detail that I'd incorporate. Yeah. You got that stuff
0: ready to slide in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I think, I think it's, it'd be unfair for me to be like, he just created this on the spot. He probably had something like this envisioned in a way, uh, in terms of like what Delilah's world maybe looked like, but I just think it's really cool. Like that is great D and D play. Like your players, like, this is what they want to do. This is what we want to see happen. Like, okay, now how do I, how do I build this out and create this? And, you know in, in deliver a an experience that has like a has stakes to it and a worthiness to it and so i think just besides like the whole branding of critical role for me it's it's i'm, I'm watching this all happen and i'm like this is just fun dnd man
0: yeah i mean a hundred percent uh like i mean i yeah i don't want to repeat everything you just said but yeah cosine. um yeah
1: well and the last thing i'll say with it too now that i'm like waxing poetically about it um i see this like comment of like um because i follow like a lot of D stuff since i have my own campaign but i just see this we thing get it's it, just, it gets, <laughs> i have friends who play D actually <laughs> but um i keep seeing this thing like all the time that's like you know critical roles not authentic dnd like you know and it's like always hating on critical role for like the D experience and like whatever um and i would really push back on it in the sense of like there's been so many great things that have come from critical role that you can pick up and drop in your campaign and i think i think this arc is a really there's some really great data points there of just what good play looks like
0: yeah, and there's really no wrong way to play either. So like, just play your way. And why are you like harshing on anyone else's groove, man? You know, like yeah. But yeah, awesome. I,
1: <laughs> I have d and D campaign. Before?
0: <laughs> I'm not jealous. All right, yeah. <laughs> but just what a cool one shot. What a cool <laughs> idea. And I'm just curious. Like, obviously. Matt didn't know Marisha's character was going to die at this part of the campaign and this was going to happen, but he did know that Delilah was entwined with her backstory. So I'm kind of curious where those two threads meet. Like, I wonder what the original plan for Delilah was, you know, because I can't imagine that it just always hung on the fact that Laudna might die at some point and there would be this entangled soul reveal. So I'm kind of curious, and this might be something we never find out until like a end of the campaign wrap up where we can ask Matt questions, but let's assume they do deal with, they they separate them, right? And they res Laudna. What does that mean for Delilah now? Like where was that story going and could it still mm-hmm. go there or, or like if they do separate them, is Delilah dealt with now or is she now just not connected to Laudna and maybe going to no. still show up in some
1: other form or fashion? Well. I- yeah. Cause there's definitely this other implication of not just being like an entwined soul. That's like, you know, traumatizing Ladna. Like the fact I, I felt so I'm just like, bro, if Ladna's character wasn't tragic enough, the fact that she's, her soul isn't allowed to pass on to whatever plane that is, but yeah. it's being kept. I'm like, I'm just thinking like this poor girl has been life ended. And then after life, you know tortured by delilah like how evil a character is this but um even beyond that though i just go back to the Gnarl rock stone where delilah you know absorbed it um to me there's some other storyline or breadcrumb there of like greater plans even beyond ladna and so i think you're right it does beg the question like if this ends with delilah being ended what did what other things did matt envision and what could have happened and could we see more of it and you actually kind of i mean you actually also kind of wonder like all right how many times is delilah going <laughs> to keep popping up here um so i don't know i i'm 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 with you in agreeing that i'm really curious where does this go
0: yeah and on your note about just poor lana like yeah now she's not that, not that wherever she is, I guess, should be considered the afterlife. I mean, I guess maybe it is for her, but like she's just reliving her worst moments, you know, sitting in that cabin as the town folk come to try to kill her. Uh, it is just really sad. And we now enter this tunnel and we kind of come out into
1: this same, same plane, I, mean, I guess, but new area. I love how you called it, Stranger Things Ask, very much Whitestone Upside Down. Yeah, is is exactly where my mind went. So I, I think you, I think you nailed it. Which we know that where
0: we were coming from was kind of Laudna's hell, for lack of a better word. Is this Delilah's hell? Because Whitestone is where she kind of took over and took power, but it's also where she was defeated. Wow. Um, and yeah, you already said it, but for anyone that was wondering, I definitely agree with Blake and think that. That place at the end of the episode was Whitestone. That's the sun tree that Matt was describing as the big dead tree. Um, I'm wondering, is it her hell? Is it just her domain? Um, there are these things called domains of dread in D&D, and I know some people have speculated maybe that's what this is. I mean, and uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, a domain of dread is basically this Personal hell, for lack of a better word, created for powerful villains. Um, like the 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 dark forces of the universe, which obviously this stuff may be different for Matt's for Xandria, you know, because Matt can do whatever he wants, but like in the typical lore of D D, these dark uh these domains of dread are created by like the dark powers that be as personal hells for powerful villains. Uh so they're like in this case, Delilah would be trapped here. Kind of as a reflection of the things she did while alive. So maybe that's what this is. And maybe that's why Delilah is like still around, for lack of a better word, because she's not like, she hasn't like passed on to an afterlife. She's living in this domain of dread that was created for her. And Mm -hmm. I guess orchestrating her machinations from here. So maybe it's that, but maybe it's also just like Delilah was so powerful that she kind of has her own realm even.
1: After death. And maybe, maybe the distinction great, doesn't matter, but I, I mean I love I love the conversation though, because it's I don't know the phrasing for it, like what you call this. Um, but for someone who wanted Whitestone so badly, there there's something interesting about that that she now rules this. I mean, rules a weird way to put it, I guess, but yeah, her personal hell is this white stone upside down esque you know realm yeah um but um i was gonna ask you something i I just lost my train of thought on it i think about it oh um the implication of laudna the 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 cabin is the implication here because i went i I started in one place and then i went somewhere at first i was like okay yeah because laudna maybe maybe there was like um I think there was like it wasn't there early in the campaign like special kids were like brought to Whitestone who had like special affinities or something so I I thought that was actually what was happening was like people being like you know she's a witch she's crazy whatever um and then maybe that's what led to them going to Whitestone but then actually with the um it seems to be Pate and then the Raven Skull I I where I actually went was post White Stone, um, that whole storyline in Campaign One, wherever she was revived, wherever she popped up out of the grounds, you know that's where she went. And people were like, "Who's this woman in the woods? She's a witch." Um, which one did you go to? And can we agree it's the second one?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely the second one because you know Marisha, I don't remember when, but you know has briefly talked about her backstory as the, compa- the campaign has gone on, and she just mentioned like. You know, I moved from shack to shack until I got ran out before I met Imogen. So I think this is just one of those times where she, you know, found some shack and started living there, the creepy lady in the woods until the locals nearby found out about it. And, like, you know, because she's a hollow one, because she has these weird abilities, they thought she was a witch and, you know, want to kill slash run her out. So I think this was just one of those instances that we're kind of revisiting in this nightmare scenario or whatever
1: yeah but oh man yeah it's so sad man i just love she's probably my favorite character and i'm just like oh my gosh your life sucked (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: i mean hopefully it's hopefully it's not the end um but so we got whatever is about to happen in the upside down white stone presumably an encounter with delilah i don't or maybe not i mean i don't know like we saw we or at least we think we saw ladna and she was like this black energy essentially so is delilah also like incorporeal or maybe since if this is her domain maybe she's fully yeah you know fully fleshed out fully powerful but i don't know i'm interested to see kind of
1: what how this plays out Here's a question for you. What what was it about Delilah that has caused her to be so powerful and tethered? Was she just was she just always a powerful caster? Uh is it her like boons from the whispered one? Like is there a lore X like a, a specific point that has explained why she came she seems to not pass on? Um, or I mean, I don't know. Um so
0: all of the above i guess so you know she desperately wanted to resurrect her husband silas and in the journey of that turned to dark forces to resurrect him as a vampire it's like the only way she could find um and through that is how she kind of got connected to vecna the whispered one and basically you know serves him and like so i think through that relationship as time went on she's kept getting more powerful as like you know, one of his servants. Um, beyond that, there's not really like some other, you know, also she's a god type of thing. You know, it's, I think it's just that, but um, yeah, just a really powerful, yeah, okay, sorceress, I guess, um, a disciple of Vecna. Uh, but, you know, as to why that means she like still has this influence even after death. That I don't know. Maybe it is tied. If this is a domain of dread, maybe it's because of that. Maybe you know because she was so yada yada yada. I don't know. I don't because she's also a warlock patron, but maybe not. Maybe it's just because of this unique relationship she has with Laudna. Because we know that mm-hmm. at least presumably there's no one else out there that she's granting power to. Um, so I don't know if it's fair to call her like a full warlock patron or not, but yeah if there's any other explanation for why she's stuck around so long beyond
1: those things, I'm not sure what it is. Okay, so she doesn't like have like a vestige of divergence or anything like that. or I don't think so. Yeah. are they all are they all discovered by the way? Like, do we know where all of them are? Or are there still some? That um, are...
0: No, no, I don't think so, because I think they're just like as they're discovered, they'll be like, oh, this is from that time. You know, so I think it's kind of like just like an archaeological artifact almost like, yeah, there's probably more out there. We just don't haven't found them type of thing. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, and it's also interesting that the party hasn't seemed to have spent have to have spent any of their gold, (laughs) which to me, I wonder, what are they going to use it on now if they don't have to use it?
0: Um, Yeah, that's a good point. They got to maybe they'll make their way over to gilmore's while they're in Taldore, or uh, I don't know, or, yeah. uh, back to what's their even normal spot? I guess they don't really have one. There's that place uh, in Trussar, yeah, 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 maybe they'll
1: we'll make their thinking, way there. I was thinking about um, well, you mentioned Gilmore, and I thought, oh, what if Fern tried to steal something, but that made me think of uh, what was the moment in the episode where. I can't remember if she saw like maybe Vex was wearing something, or I think or it was Pike. So it was her own character, which I thought was hilarious. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. and she was like, I, "But I just loved it." She just like didn't even really say anything. She was just like, "I wonder," and everyone was like, "No." <laughs> that would have been so, amazing.
0: I kind of yeah. hope she still maybe goes for something like that.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, anything else from this episode you want to talk about?
0: Um, I I think we covered it. I'll do a quick look at my notes, but I think we. We hit everything I wanted to. I, uh, I'm i really excited for, for tonight's episode. Yeah, me too. And oh, <laughs> just uh, this isn't from the episode, but Sam's bit <laughs> where we found out his B story was that he's slowly turning into a sunflower.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was great. I love also how Marisha keeps showing up for... <laughs> the intros and then she leaves which is very sad so
0: maybe (laughs) we'll see her tonight i mean not that even if she doesn't come back i mean maybe if there is some encounter maybe ladna can play a role in it so maybe yeah maybe we'll see her yeah i'm counting on it otherwise i'm quitting critical role (laughs) (laughs) well jeremy you hear that your time's
1: coming never mind jeremy don't even think about it All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning into the episode. Uh, we appreciate it. And also remember, you can follow us on Twitter at The Pixelists. Uh, we're on our YouTube, The Pixelists YT. Uh, and you can also check out the Pixelist podcast on any podcast platform. And we'll be just checking out the episode tonight. We hope you enjoy it as well. Uh, thumbnail. Thumbnail. Hmm. Could be I be just like giddy about yeah i feel like, like just watching.
0: like happy but
1: yeah. uh, i guess yeah yeah. Okay. i don't know what well, beyond guess. that sure yeah are you ready yeah hey yeah, i'll do a little like <laughs> okay all right all right all right all right gang thanks for letting us talk about sweatshirts and fall <laughs> <laughs> hey what's your favorite season let us know yeah. anyway <laughs> bye y'all. all right see ya